My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a mutant. My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a fake psychic, but then I realized that that was Sykes thing. So now I'm a real psychic. Isn't that, isn't there like a ghost whisperer or some other kind of show where it's like a real psychic? Like I know mentalist is fake psychic who admits he's a fake psychic. Psych yeah. is fake psychic, but doesn't admit he's a fake psychic. And then isn't there one, at least one or two others where like real psychic? I, you know, I don't know. Off the top yeah, of I haven't head. done a, a an inventory of psychic TV shows or, or psychic adjacent TV shows, no. but uh Hello, everyone, and welcome to uh, first bonus episode. Maybe first. I don't know when I'm releasing this. Maybe second. This is a bonus episode in between seasons three and four of Burn, Common Noticed, your favorite Burn Notice podcast. Certainly the only one that we listen to. <laughs> and honestly, barely at that. Uh, so we're coming at you before we've even like finished airing season three. So unfortunately, we don't have any hot takes for you based on your hot takes. Um, most recent episode that came out as of recording this episode is the episode of uh, where Madeline makes a friend and then heartbreakingly loses a friend. Yes, which I maintain is one of the one of the high points of the season. I don't think we were we considered it a great episode of television, but I do consider it like a a high. A it was high a high point. bar. It was one of the Just, highest bars of the season. Sure, 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 sure. Um, I think it, we we called it our favorite Matt Nix episode so we far, did. which is relevant because we are actually watching one of Matt Nix's new TV shows for this uh, this episode of uh, our bonus our bonus Jonas episodes in between seasons. We're also so just to tell you what we're doing here, folks. We uh, watched the we pilots this for the gifted. Well. I know, yeah. Well, hey, it's like, the bonus episode. Whose we're idea all, was you know, this? We're a little looser. Um, so this is the, this bonus episode idea is based off of a suggestion from listener Matt Calkin, who sent us an email at, uh, burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com if you want to recommend a bonus episode idea. So thank you, Matt. Matt's idea specifically was kind of a where are they now kind of an episode, but, you know, we're still midway through the series and we've yet to meet some of our, like main cast members so we didn't feel right doing like a where are they now segment we also sort of do that anyways just in terms of like what are they doing but we thought a fun sort of version of that idea might be to just like actually watch some of the stuff that the cast and crew of burn notice are up to in present day uh present horrible day and um so we we've kind of laid it out we're not going to tell you what we're going to watch next, but for the purposes of this episode, we thought it would be fun to watch uh, an episode, like two more like supernatural versions of uh, the Burn Notice crew's latest work. So we watched Matt Nix's The Gifted pilot, uh, the X-Men pilot, uh, I guess set in a universe after the X-Men have fallen apart. I don't know, but it's like X-Men we'll related Stan it. Lee's in it's the episode. X-Men. It's a whole thing. And then we also watched... Jeffrey Donovan's latest TV show? One Possibly. of his latest TV shows? A more recent television show. Yeah, we watched a, another starring Jeffrey Donovan show called Shut Eye. Uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. So we're going to start with The Gifted, and we're just going to kind of chat about what our what our, our favorite boys, Matt Nix and Jeffrey Donovan, have been up to recently. Do we, like, is there any other housekeeping we need to do first? 
I don't think so. I think if you have other fun bonus ideas, we might not use them this season. But hey, friends, we got four more seasons of Burn Notice to go, which means we have three more gaps between seasons that we need content for. So uh, either email us at burnnoticepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at burnnoticepod. And thank you again to Matt Calkin. Yeah, and we definitely have some ideas already for stuff we're going to do between seasons, but our ideas probably suck. So if you can do something Almost better than that. Almost certainly they do. Yes. <laughs> yeah, if you think that you're smarter than us, which most of you probably are, please give us better ideas. We would love that. All right. Uh, I'm also, if, if my side of this conversation sounds weird, it's because I just spent 30 minutes trying to figure out what was wrong with my microphone. And so I've come to some kind of solution but it remains to be seen how it will sound uh so this is just another shameless way of asking are you guys sure you don't want us to start a patreon please let us start a patreon (laughs) yeah just give us some indication that if we start one like people will be interested because like Mm -hmm. there's nothing worse a month that would be helpful there's nothing worse than like starting a patreon and then no one like comes it's like throwing a birthday Mm -hmm. party for yourself and no one shows up yeah exactly Putting an ad, putting a classified ad out in the classified saying, meet me at a restaurant. I'll be wearing a red dress and a yellow flower. And you're there alone in your red dress and yellow flower. Yeah, exactly. We don't want to be alone at the Olive Garden in our red dresses and yellow flowers. Don't yeah. leave us alone at the Olive Garden. Please tell us that you want us to start we will, a Patreon. We will eat all of the breadsticks by ourselves if you leave us alone in the Olive Garden. And we'll Garden. get so bloated we won't be able to fit in our red dress the next time we want to meet someone at the Olive Garden. Don't you see? It's all cyclical. It all comes back. <laughs> all right. So The Gifted. The Gifted. Yeah. So, Chris, you actually watched The Gifted pilot a couple of months ago, didn't you? I did. Not that long ago. I mean, who knows? Because time is meaningless. Um, time. <laughs> Do you remember if it was during or pre-quarantine? It was during quarantine. It was okay. definitely during quarantine. It was not that long ago. Time what? feels doubly meaningless right now because, like, <laughs> every day it seems like um, a million things are happening. Um, mm-hmm. Also, like, just recently, again, kind of situating us in time, um, in between recording the last episode and recording this one, I came out on Twitter. And that day, while very nice, felt like a million years. So Yeah, because a lot of other stuff was happening that day, too. Exactly. And so since... much was happening. And so time is just, it means nothing to me. Fair enough. So time is meaningless. But the reason I ask is because Chris actually watched the pilot for The Gifted in the first episode, or the second episode at the very least, before we even had this idea to do this bonus episode idea. So do you remember why you decided to watch The Gifted? Were you just curious? I was just curious. Yeah, I wanted to see something else. I'd been kind of curious about The Gifted anyway. I knew some critics kind of liked it, and I'd forgotten that it was him. And also... and. This is like the big thing. Uh, Amy Acker is in it. And I will watch Amy Acker literally do anything. Amy Acker is incredible. She is fantastic. And she does a great job. Um, so I guess we could do a little like, I'll, I'll read the IMDb description for this pilot episode. Uh, and, and maybe we'll just talk about it. Uh, so, did, I, so Chris watched this, this a little while ago. Uh, this aired October 2nd, 2017. It was called Exposed. Yes, it was. Um, so this is a thing that is 
no offense, Matt Nix, but very terrible and I hate it. Uh, every I think it's very first... terrible and I love it. <laughs> the dynamic is irrevocably broken. But uh, every episode in season one of The Gifted has the letter X in it somewhere and the X is capitalized regardless of where it lays in the word. Uh, season two, every uh, episode has the letter M in it and every M is capitalized. So presumably, had they gotten more than two seasons, they would have continued it. I guess How? the plan was to have four seasons, E and N, X-Men. I, like spell out X-Men. I guess, I yeah. Happened. Everything, every title is like stylized... Like that David Cronenberg movie, Existence, where it's like all lowercase, but the like X is capital. It's very weird and goofy. And I love it. Yeah. So do you want me to read you uh, a plot synopsis by KGF Vissers? Yeah, I love KGF Vissers. <laughs> uh, we'll look into them later. But uh, it's just it's long because like the log line for this episode is, or like the, the synopsis that I would have normally copy and pasted if this was a regular burn noticed episode is just a suburban family is forced to go on the run when the children are discovered to possess mutant powers. But I felt like that wasn't enough. And since we're not doing a full recap, I thought we should do a little bit meatier of a synopsis to let folks know what's happening. So here's that uh, by thanks to KGF Vissers. Uh, It's like pissers, but with a V. Um, This is what the storyline is, according to them. Public prosecutor and suburban family father Reed Strucker supervises the secret federal agency Sentinel Services, which firmly, firmly is in quotes, handles mutants. After locking up Lorna Polaris Dane in a grim top security facility, he's shocked to hear from his wife that his doted teen son, Andrew Andy, who freaked out shattering the locker room after school bullies abused him to despair in the showers. What? Was, there was a lot in that sentence. Oh, that. Oh, th- there's. Okay, I think I read that wrong, but also the sentence was too long and confusing. So his son Andy free went to a dance and freaked out. Yeah, um, he was he, being he was bullied, being bullied by bullies. Yes, exactly, and they look like bullies too. They have like it's, those. We'll fucking, get into the like bullies. Nazi youth haircuts. <laughs> It's a whole thing. Before Reed gets home, the agency arrives, but Andy's elder sister, Lauren, who just invited in their ma, Kate, to be a mutant too, literally their ma, Kate, (laughs) M-A. Their ma, they told their their ma. ma. I don't. (laughs) No one refers to anyone as ma in this show. It is strictly a just regular ass American television show, but moving on, she uses her powers to hold them off. <laughs> That's a KGF original. Reed decides to run with his family, seeking assistance to go into Mexico in hiding from Marcos Eclipse Diaz, who co-runs the regional chapter of the underground. You know what? I'm not even going to finish reading this. This is such a bad summary. It's, it's like really bad. He's, they're it. cherry picking the most bizarre sections of the pilot to focus on. They don't even it's mention like, the group of mutants we start with. It's like one of your uncles is trying to tell you a story. And they're like, oh, my God. And they're just getting, they're focusing on all the wrong things. Yeah, they really are. They've done a lot of, uh, they've done a Seventh Heaven recap uh, summary. They've done a lot of hashtag like me summaries. Looks like every episode they did the hashtag like me summary. Um, Satisfaction. Der Ferenzart. I guess it's like some kind of German show. Wow, they've done 31,000. That's so many. 
That's so many, that and they're not like, very good. I mean, they're, well, they're more about quantity than quality. Clearly. Uh, so, but yeah, okay, the let's, show. Let's, let's briefly do our own recap. Yeah, so let's, it I, starts... we, we, it's a show about a family, a <laughs> uh, nice American family. Uh, mm-hmm. Both of the Amy kids Acker's are the mutants. Uh, the son just discovers that he's a mutant, but the daughter already knew she was mutant. And but didn't tell her parents. So the parents don't know. The dad works for like a, he's like a prosecutor against bad mutants. Yeah. Uh, is or the way really they all describe mutants. It. Really all mutants, but like, you know, the yeah. police state will find a reason to lock you up if you are different and they yeah. want to police you. Yeah. Uh, like so that's he's he part is. of like Sentinels. That's like a, that's an X-Men's thing, like comics thing. I'm sure it is. I, I don't read nerd shit. So anyway, so he he does that. And so his daughter has been secretly a mutant for a couple of years. His son has had a lot of bullying problems at school. And this like compounds one night where he sneaks out of the house with his sister to go to the school dance. And so she's like, all right. And she takes him to the school dance and he is immediately set upon by his classic Nazi youth bullies who drag him into like the shower locker room area and like are kind of wailing on him. And then he just starts screaming and the entire school gym just like collapses around them. Uh, and his sister sort of goes and, and grabs him cause she saw him being taken off to the side and like uses her mutant powers and gets him out. And uh, then the family has to go on the run because like the people that the dad works for are like, bad mutant we have to take him uh and the dad's like well shit now that it's my family no fuck you and then they uh gain the help of a like renegade mutant group who like are kind of like they want to be x-men but the x-men i guess have disappeared and uh what's also ironic about this particular group of renegade x-men mutant people is that previously in like the cold open of the episode we saw them help rescue uh, an escaped mutant prisoner from a group of from the sentinels from the people that the dad works for and so one of their people got like taken like got arrested um and the the dad was like prosecuting her and now he needs the group's help so he he offers to like if they can get his family to safety to somewhere with like more relaxed mutant laws then he will help the renegades get their their friend back who yeah. it turns out i guess is pregnant by flashlight guy and that makes him yeah very there's a lot i he... you know i have to give visors was it what are the letters uh kgf viscers kgf viscers like a little bit of a break it's hard to summarize there's a lot going yeah. on yeah there's a i mean like the basically there's two there's there's two factions there's the renegade mutants who are like fuck you let us live and then there are the sentinels who are like fuck you you're dangerous which is you know classic x-men shit and then yeah. there's a family caught in between uh, the father works for the sentinels but it turns out his kids are mutants and so he has to decide who his allegiance is to and at least so far it is to his family yes the first thing that i want to say about this show is that it is possibly the most heterosexual X-Men media I've ever consumed. (laughs) Explain yourself. Like, okay. So, like, mutants as, like... Like, mutants in the comics are a metaphor for a lot of kinds of oppressed people. I feel like a lot of the time, then especially in, like, the films, there has always been a very strong sort of LGBT bent to the X-Men. Like, like X-Men movies really lay heavily into, like, that metaphor like magneto and professor x being definitely in love with each other yeah and like but it's also just kind of 
like because effects tend to like onset like around like puberty or something or like you know and it's a thing that you're like sort of hiding from your family there's a coming out aspect generally in a lot of these narratives and there are like this is kind of a coming out narrative to an extent but just like the tone of it is so like very heterosexual so why do you think that the tone is very just because like the only pairings that we've seen so far are two heterosexual ones the two mutants and then the, the husband wife or is it just like i think it's the tenor of the action sequences? i think it's like specifically the experiences that the kids have and like maybe coming out to their parents or whatever or like their a kind of relationship to their kind of mutant powers doesn't sort of map onto or like doesn't feel emotionally that's the metaphor that they're going with because they're not because the thing about this show is that, like, mutant and, like, mutants are very much more a race metaphor than... Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I, I, I don't know if I necessarily agree that it's 100% heterosexual, although it is a Big Daddy Nick show, and it's definitely aggressively that's my heterosexual thing. Is it, I think ways. it's just that, like, I Big do Daddy think Nick's that there could was a... never write anything that was not aggressively heterosexual. <laughs> And that's not necessarily a bad thing. No, I'm Big Daddy Nick is allowed to be as heterosexual as he feels comfortable with. This show, the two episodes that I watched. Yeah, it's fine. I don't. I'm not in the mood right now to watch this kind of a show. Uh, as the listeners will know, I've been rewatching Bones. I've been like marathoning it to the. I was watching like 12 episodes a day, like in between calls at work, like during email catch up at work because I was trying to get to the point in the show where Booth and Brennan are together and I finally got there this morning I watched back to back the pilots we're doing for this podcast and then I just watched enough bones to finally get to the part where they're together I'm extremely happy with my decisions but I will say if I was in the mood to watch like a you know superhero show I would probably go back to this because I'm curious Uh, but I was just going to say that the scene in like the kids get back from like the dance like they get home uh, and the dad is out I for some, I don't remember why the dad's out. Is he like at work or something? Yeah, he had to go to work or something. Uh, so they come home and they, they're talking to Amy Acker. And like there was, it's definitely not as overt as in like the original X-Men movies, like yeah. the sort of gay metaphor. But like, I feel like her, the when they're coming out to the mom and she's like, your dad would accept you no matter what. You're one of the, like your dad only takes bad mutants. And then yeah. the kid, the, the little boy goes, so you mean like me? And the mom doesn't really have an answer. And I felt like that that had sort of some ripples of that because like I think an experience that a lot of queer people coming out to their parents uh, have is like, oh, well, as long as you're not like one of the flamboyant ones, you know, like the it, like it's it's essentially the model minority sort of nonsense yeah. where it's like it's easier for, you know, cisgendered heterosexual people to respect divergence from their understood norm if they appear norm quote unquote there's just like the deviance is below the surface and so i felt that a little bit but i also do think that that could also be still more of a race metaphor than anything else because model minority is not specific to sexuality there's a lot of baggage with model minority stuff like oh no no no, your dad only prosecutes the bad black people yeah it's like okay well but who's defining what quote unquote the bad black people exactly it's the police and the police are inherently corrupt fuck the cops fuck the police all cops are bastards etc etc you know where we stand on this exactly uh yeah no and i think that's the thing that the show is more interested in so like 
and that's, and I kind think of that's just a all valid reading of it. No, totally. You know, I think that, like, it there, is. I'm not there's like, stuff about that too. Saying this as like a knock on the I show necessarily. I don't think it's a problem. I don't think the X Men have to be done in a way that's like explicitly an LGBT metaphor. It was always kind of a Rocky metaphor, anyway. I mean, I think all of the metaphors that you can place onto X Men are sort of Rocky. Yeah, just because of the nature of it. Like, that was something I actually struggled with with uh, Brains, the web series, the first web series you and I ever worked on together, because people are always asking me, like, what the metaphor of the zombies were. And I was like, I can go some places with this. And in, like, later seasons of the script, I did. But, like, I was always cautious because I was like, there's not a one-to-one. Like, if I make the statement, like, zombies mean, like, are just, like, a minority race and we have to tackle that. Like, well, that's not fair. Because, like, they literally do have, like, an infectious disease. And, like, in the X-Men, it's like, okay, we can go some ways into the race slash LGBT metaphor. But some of the X-Men are, like, legitimately dangerous. Like, Rogue can't be touched. (laughs) Otherwise, she'll absorb people's powers and life force. Like, that's... There's not a... Yeah. Like, she's legitimately dangerous, you know? And you can't even use, like, an AIDS thing. Because, like, I mean, I guess AIDS is a little bit closer to, like, the Rogue power and the Rogue storyline. But But even so, that's that's sketchy, you know? So it's like, you have to be careful when it comes into, like, supernatural powers, how much you lean into the metaphor. Because the harder you do it, the more you end up actually making people who are divergent genuinely scary. Yeah, exactly. And that's not the thing that we want to do. I also, I also think that just from a writing perspective, like, a not so one-to-one metaphor is better. I agree. Like, yeah, because then you can map on different things onto it, but then it's also not... When you, once you make the metaphor too, like, explicit, then it kind of becomes a game of just, oh, this is what that is, and trying to find all the connections, and, like, that's, like, yeah, less exactly. artistically satisfying. And then, it, satisfying. And then you, you dance into the, like, trite areas yes. where it's like, okay, well, now none of us like this. Even if you were on board for the metaphor, you're like, okay, we get it. Exactly. Um, but anyway, but I think I just... I really wanted to point out how heterosexual Matt Nix is writing it. <laughs> um, it definitely is. And it's also, I, do think I love it was Matt fun. Nix. It was a fun episode. It's a fun episode. Oh. I, I love Matt Nix. I love that it is an X-Men show that, at least in the pilot, spends a lot of time on the, like, straight white non-mutant dad. Yeah. Our viewpoint the, character is, like, the most boring possible person. Also, the fact that he flips so quickly is, like, kind of unbelievable to me. Like, he basically, he has this job. He feels nothing weird about it. Like, we get a glimmer of, like, oh, he's actually a good guy because he's, like, I'm trying to help you to the girl that they arrest. Um, and it's, like, are you, though? Because you're part of, like, a corrupt system that probably is, like, really bad. <laughs> um, but then as soon as he gets home and he's, like, oh, my kid is a mutant. I guess I'm 100% on the mutant side now. And, like, there's, like, no... It's not It's not very nuanced. And he is, like, no. objectively the most boring character we could be spending that much time with. But I will also say, like, a lot of the characters, at least in the pilot, are pretty thinly drawn. Like, they the are. only people who I find interesting at all are, like, the two kids. Like, I think that the daughter, like, baby Florence Pugh-looking girl, she's interesting because she's you know, been navigating this for a little longer and has more control over her stuff. And like, she seems like genuinely invested in her brother's safety and like ability to control his powers. So like, I kind of get where those kids are coming from, but like the group of mutants that we haven't really talked about yet, I don't understand what any of them 
are about. No, like, there's, there's one guy who tracks people. He's like a Hufflepuff. He's a good finder. Then there's the light bulb guy who can shine lights. And sometimes they're scary and heat. And sometimes they're just light. There's yeah. Teleport Girl, who's very cool. Uh, and then there's the girl who has telekinesis? Magneto yeah. powers? It's yeah, unclear. But sure. I don't know what any of their perspectives are. They're all just like, we're freedom fighters. And then, like, no, there is no other delving into character. Like, no one no. has a distinct personality at all. I no, don't know why I would care about any of these people. very plotty pilot. Very lore-heavy pilot. It's too, a very yeah. lore-heavy pilot. And it's every, like, I, I can really feel Matt Nix in a lot of the writing in the way that, like, every character is just saying their motivation and saying plot things at each other. Um, yeah. There's a really good scene uh, for this in the mutant kind of hideout where the the head mutant guy, I think, is, like, fixing something Wait, oh, on the hang table. on, hang on. Who do, you, who do you think is the head mutant guy? I mean, because um, there's With- that... One guy. There's one guy who Quinn seems kind decide. of in charge. But which is the one guy? Which power is he? I Hufflepuff am vague on or, which powers or, were which. I think it was the flat, flashlight guy. Flashlight guy? The guy whose girlfriend is missing? Yes. He seems to be the See, head of the mutants. I'm, I can't tell if it's him or the finder guy. Because the finder guy, the tracker, whatever the hell his power is, which is very vague again, um, he seems like he was the one in the know and, like, calling orders and stuff. Like, the other guy had, like, the strongest motivation to do something because it was his girlfriend that was gone. But it never really felt like anyone was, like, listening to him. And, like, it's the fact that unclear. he made this agreement with the, um, with the lawyer, with the dad of the family... Um, our Michael Weston of the show, if you will allow it, uh, the most nothing man of the show, he, like, that seemed like a kind of side priority that was not sanctioned well, by Well, I group. think part of it is that I think that the leader was the girl who got kidnapped. Interesting. And so they're kind of flailing. But she wasn't that. really the one that started talking, like, when they went, found Teleport Girl, because, like, the beginning of the episode is Teleport Girl is, like, She running seemed away like she cops. was hanging back, if I remember correctly. Just kind of like, yeah. But I and, think but she's like, that that's not really kind of, leadership stuff. Like she might be like one of those hang back leaders or something. I don't know. I get the sense that they're point a being little, the command structure is not clear. Yes. And it's a very flat. Team I could structure. not tell you anyone's name. No, I could, I could not, not tell you a single goddamn person's uh, name. I also think I get the sense from episode two because I also watched one more episode than you did. Like I kind of made th- was going to suggest maybe you watching episode two also but i was like brie's not gonna watch more than one episode um no i might eventually like i'm not like this is a show that yeah, i would definitely I come back to of, if i was like in the mood for it i think the first two episodes work better like as a pair that's um, fair and for a show like this that makes sense because there's a lot to kind of unpack about the world like it's like fantasy and supernatural shows are hard because like you have to do double duty. Like, in Burn Notice, there's not a lot you really have to establish. Like, he's a spy in Miami. End of thing. You know? Like, there's yeah. there's not a lot of world you have to set up. Yeah, I mean, and also, a lot of the world building world, is done but in... Like... But, like, but that's all done in voiceover as, like, yeah. one of the structural elements of the show. And also, 
everyone I think has a kind of general understanding of like, this is what a spy does. Like we all know James Bond. So like there's an extent to which we're already familiar with the, like the type of thing that this world deals with. The, the layering is done in like the specifics, but that doesn't require as much energy as setting up. Like what is the, like what is the cultural situation in this X-Men universe? We know the X-Men, but the X-Men aren't a part of this. Where are the X-Men? Like, exactly. who are these, you know, like who are the power structures? Like that, that hasn't been established. You have to do that plus in, and, and because it's also an ensemble show, it's not a Michael Weston protagonist with a couple of side character show. It's like an ensemble cast. You have to like equally introduce like seven people in addition to a very complicated situation. So I, I can, I can understand why it might be more of like a, not a two part pilot, but kind of a low key. It's kind of a two part pilot. If you like watch it, if you watch episode two, um, Oh, but can yeah, I tell I, you a depressing fact about this episode? Um, sure, and then I'll get back to the thing that I was saying. It was directed by Brian Singer. That's right. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> saw that it was. Episode two yep. is directed by someone too. Oh, it's directed by Lynn Wiseman. Who's of that? the underworld of the underworld pictures. Um, I don't know what that is. The underworld series of films. What is the underworld? Under, you know, like under, it's, it's got fucking Kate Beckinsale. I've never heard of this. It's I'm like on his IMDb it's, page right now, and I've never ever, I'm not familiar with this at all. You like Kate Beckinsale? She's like a vampire, and like there's this whole like underground war going on between vampires and werewolves, and it's all really darkly lit and then sort of vaguely sexy. I don't know. It's I've never very long running B like supernatural action series. Not to be confused with the Resident Evil movies, which uh, star someone else whose name is escaping me. Um, but they seem very similar. And I've always thought that eventually they would cross over and surprise that they haven't yet. But yeah, no, Prime Singer. Enough. All right, so back to what you were talking about. Uh, yeah, directed this episode. Oh, yeah, I definitely felt Matt Nix a lot in the writing. And anyway, in this scene with Flashlight Guy, Flashlight Guy is, like, fixing something at a table. And, like, the new mutant walks in and they have a little conversation. And, like, it could have exactly been a conversation at Michael's loft. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. Just, like, the kind of writing in it, the kind of But, jokes. like, less charming. Like, the thing that I missed about both of these shows that we watched for this bonus episode is that I was missing the charm, you know? Like, they're both definitely more straight-up dramas. But even... Because, like, Burn Notice isn't a comedy, but it's a lot more lighthearted than either of these shows. And, like, in fairness, like, the situations of both of these shows are more trenched in dramatic moments, and, like, they're a little bit more serious in tone. But, like, for God's sake, can somebody please break the tension? Because Matt Nix is fun. like he's fun, like he's yeah. he's clearly. I mean, has there's a good definitely a lot of like jokes in this, but it's like not proper jokes. Are there? It's like sort what, of like what, half-hearted. It, it, quips. it reminds me of a joke because <laughs> they're. They, I, I don't. don't feel there's like never like are. jokes. It's just like someone says something sort of sarcastic, and it's like, but it's all like very hacky. Well, because they're all so serious. Like, the whole episode is, like, people running from thing to thing, like, having a conversation with the teacher about how their kid's being bullied. Yeah, it's all... a conversation between the siblings. Like, it's all very serious. Everyone's taking it very seriously. It's very serious. It's also very concrete all the time. A lot of the... Again, like, 
and this is a very Matt Nix thing, like all of the... You're either on the right side or the wrong side? Yeah, no, I mean in the sense of it's a lot of like chases, like all of the stakes are very concrete and very clearly laid out in like an almost video gamey way. It's like, oh, we have to get this thing so we can do this thing. We have to get out and like, it's all very clearly laid out, but it's also all very kind of plotty and not the most character forward plotting because it's a lot about objectives. And like, yeah, I think oftentimes they're, the script isn't making the most creative choices or the most fun choices. It's oftentimes the most direct choice, which is, again, a Matt Nix, you know, staple. Um, like, I remember when I watched it a while back, I was texting you about it as I was watching it. And I said, you want to know like the most Matt Nix thing. Like the thing that's most indicative of this show is uh, the way that Matt Nix handles the standard Stan Lee cameo. I didn't, I missed that entirely. And I was um, watching this episode, but I, I missed that. I don't remember. Like, I, I don't I saw, think it's when an I episode saw, too. Cause I think it's, it's no, it's ep- the first episode and it's the, apparently it was Stan Lee's first at the very least. It was the first time he had done a cameo in one of the TV series yeah. in the Marvel universe. Exactly. Apparently um, he was just like in town for a convention and Matt Nix was like, please come be in the show. And it took 20 minutes. And there's, there's actually yeah. in the trivia section. I don't know if you read this. Um, Matt Nix has a cute little quote about, um, Stan Lee being there. Nick said, that's the kind of thing where I think people sometimes underestimate the degree to which we're, we who make the show are just another group of fanboys trying to make something happen by the skin of our teeth, which seems very much like a thing that Matt Nick says a lot, like given what we know about the production, like back uh, behind the scenes production of Burn Notice that like they were doing a lot with a little, like they were always running like late and they were always running by the skin of their teeth. You know, yeah. they they produced a lot in a in much less time than most people gave them. Their budget was probably significantly lower than a lot of other shows on the network at the time. And I like that. I like that Mad Nix is a little I scrappy. do appreciate that. But and it could be that um yeah, Stanley was very in town for just a little bit, so they didn't have a lot of time. But uh the cameo that they have is literally just um the dad walks into a bar and as he's walking into the bar Stanley walks out of the bar, and he yeah. just walks uh, yeah, across he, the frame. Apparently, Lee was in Dallas for a comic convention, which is where shooting was taking place, and he was able to shoot That's his cameo in twenty minutes. That's not the first show that Matt Nix has shot in Dallas. It's not. Yeah, because I think uh, the Good Guys was also in Dallas. Hmm. Maybe Matt Nix like likes like lives in Dallas or has like maybe yeah. In That's interesting. Something. As someone who lived in Dallas for like five years. Um, that's because int- I remember when uh, the good guys, another show of his that we may or may not talk about at some point in the future, um, was filming and then coming out. We were like, oh, they actually shot this in Dallas. It's cool to like watch and see, you know, um, landmarks. Although Dallas doesn't have that many landmarks, Dallas is the most generic city that I've ever lived in. You've heard it here first, Dallas, there's nothing to it. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I think there's it's all very concrete and like goal based. And even when there's character motivations, like the motivations are very concrete and very simple. Like, I love my girlfriend, so I want to get her out. Or, you know, I love my kids, so we got to get out. You know, I'm a mutant, so people bully me. And, you know, that really kind of concrete, very obvious plotting in the first episode. 
Yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on, but ultimately it's pretty. Yeah. There's a lot happening in it. But there, but like, but yeah, like I'm just going to come back to the fact that characters were not welcome here. There was, I don't, I could not tell you a single trait of any no. of the characters. Like by the end of the burn notice pilot, which we agree was a mess and <laughs> which uh, fans have lambasted us for and writers of the show have lambasted us for. But you, at, you know what? At least by the end of the pilot, I have a really concrete idea about who the th- main four characters are. And I consider Madeline a main four character. Yes. Like, we know that Fiona is violent and erratic and highly sexual, which I enjoy a lot. We know that Bruce Campbell is Bruce Campbell, which, hey, you know what? Stick with what you know, baby. We know that uh, Michael Weston is extremely boring, but very good at his job and single-minded about getting it back. And we know his mom is annoying, but loves her son deeply. Yeah. Um, and, like, that's more than what I got. That's, I, like, yeah, I, that is I watched so much this episode more. three hours ago, and I could not tell you a single thing about any of these people. Yeah. Again, I will say, and I'll kind of, if you want, I can describe episode two, because I think there's a bit more shading in episode two. But what happens in episode two, actually, it starts off with a flashback to the family bowling, and they watch, like, another mutant accidentally have, like, their powers go off and, like, damage the bowling alley. And then the dad says... You should go now, because otherwise you'll get arrested. And I mentioned the um, flashback partially to mention the most important thing about this show, is, which is that Sharon Glass also plays a mother in this. Sharon Glass is in episode two of this show. And kind of in a nice parallel to um, the season three finale, um, also finds herself being interrogated by, like, agents of the government because her son is on the run. <laughs> Weirdly um, similar parallels to the season three speaking, finale. Speaking of Burn Notice actor parallels, also actor Kobe Bell, who we're about to meet in season four of Burn Notice, playing the character of Jesse, is the main, like, agent. I don't yeah, know what sentinel bad guy. What, what, sentinel, yeah. He's the main yeah. sentinel bad guy who's, like, hunting them down. Yeah, no, um, he spends like a good part of episode two interrogating Madeline. I mean, you know, it's Madeline. Uh, sure, sure, sure. It's something um, I do like. And I said this to Quinn earlier because Quinn watched Quinn watched all of Shut Eye with me and part of The Gifted with me. Um, and something I mentioned, it was like, honestly, the fact that so many Burn Notice writers still work with each other and actors still appear on, like, the writers' shows means that, like, these people genuinely did love each other. Like, they they had seven seasons together and still want to hang out and continue working together. And I think that's cute. Like, I always love when people, like, keep each other around. Like, they keep employing each other and they keep inviting each other on. Like, I, that's genuinely heartwarming because, you know, there are shows where you read about, like, the behind-the-scenes politics. Like, you know, Castle, everyone at Castle hates each other. And, like, by the end of The Good Wife, the final scene between two actresses, they had to be shot on different days and then, like, fused together later, although they deny that it's because they were fighting, but there were enough reports that it's like, oh, they were definitely fighting. Like there, you know, there are shows like that where it's like, that's kind of a bummer. Cause like, you know, when you fall in love with the TV show, it's the characters. Like movies can get away with being a little more plotty and more like 
cerebral and about a thing because it's like a self-contained story but like a tv show what keeps you coming back to a tv show is the characters and i think that there's an element to which like viewers like to be swept up in the magic of it and even if we know that like the main love interests aren't dating off screen although of course we love that shit we at least want them all to be friends this yeah. at least as much as they are in the show and it always bums me out when i find out that that's not the truth so that's something that like i've come to really appreciate about burn notice as we delve deeper into it and like how much th- they all genuinely seem to like each other and respect each other and want to keep working together i also think that just from the perspective of someone who makes art like to see um producers and like showrunners just rehiring people um, makes me happy just in the sense of like it's nice to see people work together because I work with people and like I like love the people that I work with and so like um, that camaraderie sort of I find empathetic because it reminds me of camaraderie that I have in things and it's very nice um, also though sometimes it feels like nepotism and that's not great as someone who I wants mean, to break into think... the industry, like I'm like, no, <laughs> yeah. don't just hire your friends, hire me. But also I'm willing to be your friend. Um, and that goes to everyone out listening in the audience. I'll be your friend if you hire me. Yeah, I like that. I, I mean, you're absolutely right. And there's a reason that people say like, it's not about what you know, it's who you know, especially in the entertainment industry. But like, there is an extent to which, you know, these are 12 hour shooting days. We've been on sets where it's been even longer than that. And if you don't like the people that you're around, that is punishing. Yes. And I understand, like, there's a reason that you and I have worked together so many times. We've had two podcasts. We've had two web series that we've both like starred in multiple more web series that we both worked on together like there's a reason that we do that and you know i don't know it's, if i would consider it it's nepotism because, because you hate me but dominate me and i like that i i hate you but i deeply dominate and respect you yeah um, and i hate that i respect you which makes my, the dominating even more violent and delicious and that's what i'm into um but yeah it it makes me happy to see like writers and actors coming back. I know it, was, it made me very happy to see Sharon Glass in episode two. Um, Maybe I'll watch at the very least episode two. Episode two. Also, it's, I think it's very important to watch episode two because I think a lot of the a the thematic stuff comes more to the fore, and um, b um, the show finally does what episode one never does, even though I wanted it to do the whole time which is center amy acker because amy (laughs) acker is kind of a non-entity in episode one yeah she's just a mother who's like we have to go on the run um but episode two suddenly becomes about amy acker um in much more of a dynamic way because she's a nurse um which we know because at one point she sees someone laying down sick and she goes i'm a nurse and She's a nurse, and so, like, she suddenly is beneficial to these these mutants. And so she kind of becomes their doctor a little bit. And really, it kind of is a show, weirdly and slightly problematically, about a white family experiencing racism for the first time. Yeah, and um, I, and that, like, that's, that's rough. And we can talk about rough, that. Nick wrote but, the second episode as well, just for the record. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, I know. 
And But since it's a metaphor, I think it plays better. It definitely plays much better than Shuddai's approach to white people and race, um, which we'll get to. <laughs> but because it's enough of a metaphor, and it becomes a little bit less about race specifically in just general, generally like systematic oppression, because it's all about the way that the system is set against them and like, Everything in the hospital is sent to make set to make things more difficult than them. And like Amy Acker poses as Flashlight's girlfriend, then like but she's kind of injured too, if I remember correctly. And so like the doctor pulls him aside and is like, is he being abusive or something? And he's like, no. And it's like clearly like there's a stereotyping component going on there. And episode two really is genuinely about kind of her realizing how bad it is for mutants because they don't sort of realize that from their sort of place of privilege. And I think that's really interesting. And again, the climax is really well done. The dad is more kind of sequestered in the Sentinel plot and he's being interrogated also by, um, uh, what's his name who plays Jesse? Yeah, Kobe Bell. Kobe Bell, that's right. Trivia has the same birthday as Jeffrey Donovan, which is extremely cute. amazing. Oh, can you imagine being on set when it's both of their birthdays? Oh, it's just too precious to even imagine. And they all love each other, so it's like good. And it's like a, <laughs> they have like a big, they have like a big like shared birthday cake, and maybe it has Aww. like both of their faces like a, on it. Yeah, I was just gonna say it's like a photo cake, and they're like it's hugging like a photo and cake, smiling and maybe they're other. like hugging or something. Oh my god, that is amazing. <laughs> I love that we're just f- like hardcore head cannoning the friendships of the bird right. notice people. What has oh happened to us? So let's wrap up the conversation about the gifted. We've I been mean, talking like, about the gifted for a I while. Will, I'll, Any... Some of it is that like I now take estrogen med- like in pill form. <laughs> it's. <laughs> I mean, I allegedly have estrogen in me and have since birth. And I don't remember feeling this attached to the burn notice crew. <laughs> Until more recently. I also feel like we've developed a relationship with them. We have. You know? We definitely have. We've we've gotten deep into it. And, like, Um, God help us. We've got four more fucking seasons of this podcast to do. do. So if we don't like these people, then we're in for a much harder ride than we need to be. Exactly. Yeah. And so I like this show. I may. Would you you recommend it to uh, our listeners? I think it's definitely worth watching. If you like Burn Notice, definitely watch it. And if you like X-Men, And you recommend watching the first two episodes? I recommend at least watching the first two episodes, because I think episode two works much better as a climax. Episode one's ending is definitely like a cliffhanger, whereas episode two's ending is more climactic. And again, it really sells the thematic things that they're going on and really gives Amy Acker a time to shine. And it's less focused on straight white dad. Instead, it's focused on straight white mom, but which is still, but like you know, again, I would watch Amy Acker read the phone book. Yeah, she is fantastic, and also seemingly hasn't aged in twenty years. So good for her. No, uh, you know who else hasn't aged? Jeffrey Donovan. I was gonna say he he's starting to look a little more his age. He keeps it tight for sure. Jeffrey Donovan definitely is keeping it tight, but I feel like I can notice the age in him a little more. 
See, that's, I don't know. Especially he, around the he eyes. He just always looked older to me. Well, he's always looked like both older and young. Like, he, he's sort of just like ageless. He's got he one of those of just sort of ageless complexions. Where that's it's like true. he doesn't necessarily look any age. Because I think when he started Burn Notice, he was in his 30s. But like, I could have easily believed he was in his 40s. He just exactly. like always looks like he's sort of generally in his late 30s and nothing else. Yeah, no, it's like his face has definitely changed, but it hasn't aged. Things have just moved around. <laughs> I mean, he's a good-looking guy. He, no, like, yeah, yeah, he's he he definitely has a weird, like, ageless quality to he him. He does, um, which isn't to say a youthfulness, but it's ageless. You're right; he's always late thirties, which I think is actually good. Like, I think that's the thing you want because I think if you look oh, maybe a little bit older when you're younger, that's a little bit of a problem. But once you hit that age, you kind of just stay looking like that. And then the older you get, the more beneficial it is. Sure. Yeah, I can see yeah. that. All right. Well, so yeah, I would. I think I would also recommend The Gifted. I haven't seen episode two, but I probably will at some point. I go through phases where I get really into like superhero stuff. That's not the mood that I'm in currently. So I probably won't watch it for a little while, but I would, I, yeah, I'd recommend it. Great job, Matt Nix. I'm, I'm proud of you. Yeah. <laughs> so let's move on to Shut Eye, which is, uh, if not the latest Jeffrey Donovan piece, one of the latest yes. Jeffrey Donovan pieces. So Shut Eye is a, a television show that premiered at the in December 2016. We'll get to the actual episode, but the show uh, as a whole is about a scam artist psychic who is a part of a network of fake psychics and mind readers and things, uh, who is kind of also like the, one of the like lieutenants of a main crime syndicate psychic scammer. It's about kind of the underworld and kind of almost mafia like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was going to use mafia as a word too. Yeah. Mafia like atmosphere of psychics and palm readers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like, so like, there's this main Romani family, which we yes, will there is a will yes talk about. <laughs> there's like um, a Romani crime family. They're kind of like the main Sopranos of this whole system. Like yeah. they're very rich and they kind of own everyone. And then they have like lieutenants who have like their own. Like they, it, it's sort of like it's like a franchise essentially. And so okay, uh, Jeffrey Donovan really plays a guy named. Sorry. What 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 do they have? A franchise. No, no. Um, what is Jeffrey Donovan in this show? A scammer. But like, who is he in relation to the family? The 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 father. No, big, the big crime daddy family. De- lieutenant. What British ass shit are you doing <laughs> right now with fucking lieutenant? Well, I so lieutenant always yes, sounds lieutenant. weird in my mouth, but yes, it's because I, I I watch a video game channel where um he plays a lot of like total war games or like city builders with armies oh, and like stuff, and so he says lieutenants a lot, and so I have just Is he British adopted that. Yes, he's extremely yeah. British. Oh boy, yeah. So I mean, I'm not gonna lie, it's good. I also like lieutenant. Uh, <laughs> But I wanted to give you shit for it. 
<laughs> That's fine. I don't care what you think. So, um, so <laughs> Jeffrey Donovan, who plays a character named Charlie, he is like a lieutenant of this crime family where he has his own like franchise syndication of some like people, which includes himself and his sister and a couple of other people who he like collects money from. And so he takes a cut of all of their business because he's kind of like the manager. He's like a regional manager. He is of kind of a, bunch a psychic of regional manager. Exactly. Um, he also used to be a magician in Vegas. Yeah. Well, not not just magician. He designed magic tricks, which exactly. I assume will become a bigger thing later in the show, uh, where his whole thing is that he's kind of the ingenious. And we see it a little bit in the pilot where, like, he he's fixing somebody's, like, shit like when he when he's going to like collect money from his various uh franchises of fake psychics of his franchises of charlatans um he like fixes somebody's like crystal ball or something like he fixes something where he's like you got to change the batteries out and she's like what there's batteries in it so the implication is that he's set up the people that he that kind of own and operate the franchises that he manages with various like practical effects yes and and i think that that stems from the fact that he used to like design really intricate magic tricks which i think is a cool setup I like think I, that's I, really I, cool. like there's there's a lot about this show that i liked except yes. for yeah we'll get to that in a second racism um, um but yeah yes. so anyway so the, the premise of the episode is uh well here i'll, I'll read the um the imdb description we got to stick to format in some way or another yeah. uh so the first episode Good of Shut Eye is called damned. death all the episodes are named after different cards of the tarot yeah, yeah, tarot cards are a thing that some people believe in. So this episode, according to IMDb, it says, a mid-level con artist who runs a few palm reading and tarot card shops gets in trouble with the gypsy family who runs their local circuit. His wife wants him to stand up and get out from under their control. So the plot of this episode is um, that he basically is just going about his day when he discovers that his sister, who's one of his franchise managers, yeah, his, yeah. Uh, she his does tarot and other shit. His sister has a shop that is in his network yeah. and she made the mistake of like crimping on the Romani family style. Yeah, so apparently there's like a bunch of different kinds of like tarot readers and mind readers and, and psychics. The implication that I got from the episode was that, and there's a little bit of jargon in the episode, Yeah, is that the thing that she did wrong, she does a thing where she like burns money. No, it's, it's a all, blood egg. Yeah, it's, it's like, and it has like a blood problem. egg and it's all like very specific and like, the implication is that that's a Romani thing. It's she, she culturally appropriated, kind of, yeah, from the Romani. Or like, yeah, that's kind of like the only Romani people can do that thing. That like, um, I guess to sort of it, keep the mysticism of it or whatever, and non. I think it's people. more just like each each kind of psychic has their own style and because this Romani family is in charge um, they have their own style that's like theirs that they feel very like I mean I get the sense that it's like specifically Romani because like they have a term right exactly and yeah so it's it's not specific necessarily to their family well, but like their their family and the the things that they directly control, like yes. all of the like the people that they directly control can use that, but just franchise managers are not allowed to. Yeah. Like, well, if also you're one step because removed. this is very important. Um, Jeffrey Donovan and his family are not Romani. No, they are not. 
And so that's the thing. And so she can't do that. Yeah, but she did anyways because she was like, I'm just trying to jazz things up, you know, like people like it when I, you know, get a little creepy with them. Like I like props. I like having a lot of crap on the table. It confuses them. Um, But then like basically the Romani people catch her and are like, okay, you have to come be like adjudicated on because you know the rules you're not allowed to do this so we're gonna punish you and so that's a plot line that we'll get to in a little bit the other things that are happening in jeffrey donovan's life is um his wife is getting kind of frustrated with him because she's like you've been essentially a middle manager for 15 years and we barely scrape by like this crime family sucks we hate them and they're dangerous like why don't we do like break out on our own like why don't we go somewhere why don't we do our own thing and at a she does like a magic show I guess she's like a part-time amateur magician as well and she meets this extremely rich lady at a party who she's like this woman is the perfect mark she's had like a bad experience with psychics before but she likes me and because I told her that you're a psychic I think that we have an in and she is like a cash cow she is like a long con we should do this and at first Jeffrey Donovan's like "Mm," but then the Romani family like if they're mad at us for our sister my sister doing an egg trick yeah. they're going to be even more pissed if we cut them the out of like a cash are, cow yeah, deal that the rules with a whale are that you got to pass them up to the head of the family and eventually trickle down economics will get them paid yes. for their efforts uh and the wife is like fuck that be a man like let's do this um but jeffrey jonathan's like no i don't want yeah. to the so wife then, is hardcore the wife is hardcore. She actually reminds me of uh, some characters in, uh, I watched the first episode of Sons of Anarchy recently because my mom's obsessed yeah. with that show. I might go back to it, but it's kind of a Sons of Anarchy vibe, like where there's the the mom character in Sons of Anarchy. Her, her whole thing is that like she appears sweet, but she's also like, be a man, like, you know, toughen up. Yeah, a lot you of sh- like you should really like the crime. tough, violent moms mm-hmm. in this episode of television. Yeah. Um, because also the uh, Romani family is headed up by Isabella really, Rossellini. By Isabella Rossellini, who eventually reveals herself to be violent as well. Uh. Yeah, exactly. That's true. All the women are like the big like secret head honchos. Um, But yeah, so that's like the main conflict that Jeffrey Donovan is dealing with is it's his sister is going to get judged harshly. uh, We assume probably violently by the Romani family for fucking up. And also his wife is mad at him for not like doing anything more like substantial. She's like, are you really happy with your lot in life? But also there's another thing that's going on. Right. Well, so that's that's like the the general setup. So then midway through the episode, Jeffrey Donovan gets fucking beat the shit out. And it's because funny because like the beginning ex- of the episode. Is it the beginning? Uh, oh, oh, no, no, no. I see. Well, at the beginning of the episode, which I kind of want to talk about the opening scene. I think the opening scene is interesting. Um, OK, go for it. Well, OK, because it's an interesting bit of table setting. Literally, they're at a table. It's the show starts just with Jeffrey Donovan at a table conning people mm-hmm. um it's a very effective opening i think um, yeah and there's like there's some nice montage moments where he's just like going about his day there's one section where he's like peeing and like facebook stalking the next woman so that he can get some details to use in his yeah. cold reading um and so and i like that yeah i like kind of seeing like we don't see a ton of the behind the scenes but we do get the sense that like he's just a guy and he's definitely conning people and then we get yeah. to see him like just do a, a couple of little cons back and forth. And exactly. I, I, yeah, it's a it nice was definitely way to open a fun. It. Um, it definitely was. And so one of these women 
uh, he talks to the the woman he Facebook stalks. He finds out that she's in a relationship. So he implies that her boyfriend is cheating on her, which seems like a big swing, like <laughs> to tell somebody. But basically he's like, you should break up with your boyfriend. He's, he's probably cheating on you. And then he, for a little while in the episode, he keeps getting like, he keeps catching a truck following him around and i was like wow very burn notice i wish he had paid attention it's to how to lose a tail uh, i brie castellini know how to lose a tail because of burn notice but i guess charlie hasn't seen that show uh so eventually he like gets out of his car and he's like why are you following me and the guy like punches him in the head really hard and he's like you told my girlfriend i was cheating on her fuck you and then drives away so he goes to the hospital and uh, over the course of the episode, he's like having issues with his concussion and then eventually starts to have like genuine clairvoyance where he'll hear something in his head and then someone will say it out loud just a couple of seconds later. It's a very it's not, mild power. Yeah, especially for just like how little it, it you know, and, and how random it is. I assume that it develops over the course of I the show. But like, yeah, the first episode, the only real glimpse we get of it is like about six seconds before somebody says something. Sometimes he hears it in his head. Um, Which is on one hand kind of lame. But also yes. on another hand, I kind of appreciate it because there's something, for lack of a better word, realistic about it. Like Right. That he like, can't just like straight up read minds. Exactly. Like it doesn't obviously play like a fake power. Like I can like sort of weave a narrative in my head that he's just slightly displaced in time or something. Like there's like weirdly plausible about it, the way that it works. Or at least the way that we know that it works so far in this episode. So far in this first episode. Um, so then we also midway through the episode meet this hypnotist who I'm not sure what her deal is. She comes in essentially to like do a job interview to be one of their franchise managers, essentially. Um, and yeah. she successfully hypnotizes Jeffrey Donovan. Then the wife gets mad because he has a concussion and she's like, my husband is clearly in a weakened state. Like, get out. That's highly unethical. We don't want your business. And she's like, like look how good a hypnotist I am, though. And she's pretty good at hypnotizing. Because yeah, like, I didn't all even she does is just wear a bracelet. And talk she, very like, calmly. Well, she and then has... also touch his arm. I think the arm touch was a part of it. Yeah, but like, like, she immediately closes distance. There's something going on with the way that the light is hitting the bracelet. Sure, yeah. And it's like kind of, it's sort of like the watch swinging or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And her it happens very quickly thing that and she very keeps saying, that she says multiple times is, like, if I was able to do this to him, think what I could do to Marx. You know? Yeah, exactly. So um, that's kind of her pitch. But the wife is like, fuck you. Like, that was unethical. Get out. So she yeah. leaves. Um, then... A little bit later, because the, there's only three times that this hypnotist shows up. So the second time that we see the hypnotist is the husband and wife break into her, like, hotel room that she's staying at. Jeffrey Donovan, like, holds her in his lap while the wife burns her with a cigarette. Burns her with cigarette. a cigarette. Um, yeah, yeah, because she this... thinks that she's done something to him. Yeah, because he, before that. He faints in a grocery store. Yeah, he faints in a grocery store. Like, that's what causes him to go to the hospital. Like, he is... The first time he's having this clairvoyance is in a grocery store and like he kind of passes out in the grocery store. And then at the hospital, the doctor tells him like, you're fine. I mean, like, keep an medically eye on it, fine. but like medically you're fine. The thing that they always say in supernatural mm -hmm. shows, medically <laughs> he's fine. 
Science uh, can't explain it. And then he goes, is there anything else that happened? And the the hardcore mom is like, he got hypnotized. She put the whammy on him. Literally, they say, she put a whammy on him. <laughs> so um, yeah, so they go and like accuse her of like exacerbating the head trauma. Um, but the woman is like, no, I didn't do shit. All I did was like place a suggestion that like, if a trigger word was said later, he would decide to hire me. She's like, I swear it's nothing like weird or bad. And so after being burned by the cigarette. It's very charged this scene. Yes, very charged. And then they were like, all right, I guess we believe you. And so then they leave. And then the third time that we see this hypnotist is at the very end of the episode where she is in bed with Charlie's wife. So the wife like hates this woman, doesn't want to hire her, thinks she's unethical, has like literally tortured her by burning her with a lit cigarette. Um, They are having extremely steamy lesbian sex. They have, yeah, exactly. Exposed boobs galore. Burning her leg was uh, foreplay. Foreplay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, If that's not the gay experience, I don't know what is. Uh, And then, and so that's like the last time we see her. So I'm not really sure. But yeah, it kind of comes out of left field. Mm Mm-hmm. Extremely. Uh, very just out of left field. You don't know, like, if Charlie and her have, like, an open relationship or this is, like, a secret or, like... I get the impression that it's not an open relationship and this is some sort of weird sideshow nonsense. I also... Yeah. Can you tell if they knew... If the wife and the, the hypnotist knew each other beforehand? They seem... They... The hypnotist knew someone in Vegas. Like... The hypnotist was a recommendation from, like, a Vegas friend. But, like, did they know each other? Because, like, the, the fact that they're just, like, so. having sex. Like, the way that they're talking. No, I think she literally. Like I think the plot of the episode is that literally she tortured this woman and got so horny about it. That later she goes back and they fuck? Yeah. Uh, I think that's what's going on. Well, apparently, yeah. Yeah, no. That's, that's exactly what happens. Anyway. Um, it's still so anyways, unclear so exactly what's going on with Charlie, like how he got the psychic powers, but he seems to have a mild clairvoyance. I want to talk about Jeffrey Donovan. Okay, let's talk about Jeffrey Donovan. Let's talk about Jerry De- Jeffrey Donovan. Wait, 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 hang on. Do we want to wait in t- to talk about Jeffrey Donovan at the end? Do we want to unpack the racism a no, little I bit and then No, I think once we on start talking about racism, we will not stop. So I want to talk about Jeffrey Donovan first. Okay, fair enough. Let's talk about our boy. Uh, let's talk about our boy. Um, he's exactly the same. <laughs> he is. But you know what's interesting is I feel like Jeffrey Donovan, as the more that I watch him, like, and, like, actually watch him, not just, like, casually watch him in a TV show that I'm not examining for a podcast, is that he's very, he's kind of spongy. He's kind of a sponge actor, where when there are more, when there are talented people around him, I think he does a good job of absorbing that and, like, being a good sort of centering element in a scene. I don't think he's a bad actor and we've seen some really good performances from him, but he is definitely a very like intense, but low energy person. Or maybe not low energy, but like, no, he's very intense. Always. He's He's very, what's fascinating about Jeffrey Donovan is that we like watched him play a spy and now we're watching him play a con artist. And these are two of the most traditionally charismatic character roles kind of flam- that you can yeah. get and he's so low-key in both of them but in both of them he sells competence so well 
That is the thing yeah. that you get with Jeffrey Donovan is that when he's in a scene, he seems very confident, coolly confident that he knows what he's doing all the time. Yeah, and he also, need to be outrageous about it. He has an unshakable dignity. Like, <laughs> that is, he does have a very dignified like performance. It's interesting because like most of yeah, most of our con artist um, points of reference are like very sort of high energy, like very flirtatious, charming people. But this guy's just like everyone a else man in the with show. Two children with like yeah, two teenage and like, early twenty something kids. Yeah, he's very much a family man. Like, and even every other con artist in this show is kind of like smarmy or power power hungry or theatrical, and he's just like a guy um, because that's who Jeffrey Donovan is. He's just like mm-hmm. a guy, but he projects a quiet confidence, and and, and that's what like con that. man a- means. He's a confidence man. <laughs> Like, yeah, and I think that it's an interesting take on the confidence man because the usual con man that I think of is like a Matt Bomer in white collar, another USA classic, and like you know he's he's very like he wears good clothes and he's like you know very smarmy and very like loud and charismatic and everyone's in love with him and like I wouldn't say that anyone is particularly in love with Jeffrey Donovan. Um, in Burn Notice more so just because that's kind of the thing they're doing but in this show it doesn't seem like anyone is ever like in love with him but everyone trusts him you know you look at him and you just innately trust him and I like that because I feel like I would also just trust Jeffrey Donovan yeah could you imagine going getting your tarot read and it was Jeffrey Donovan (laughs) like but that's the thing is that I want it so bad (laughs) there's no like theatricality he's supposed to be like a magician or a magician like trick master he's like an there's engineer no though. he's like an engineering engineer. exactly magician. he's an engineer and so there's no theatricality to what he does like and so he just seems like a regular joe like it's like going to a tarot card reading and it's like you go to a fucking home depot and they're like what can i help you with <laughs> like true. that's his vibe it's definitely true. One thing I wanted to call out uh, in terms of burn notice connections, and this is a trivia in the IMDb page, but I fucking noticed it beforehand, which is that one of the main client that he works with throughout this episode uh, is oh, a guy the, um, who... The mob guy? Yeah, the, the mob guy who's not the Romani mob, who's like a different kind of mob yeah. guy, uh, who has a son that might be autistic. That guy is the same client of the week from the pilot of burn notice. Exactly, so, it is. Because he was also on Dexter. Yeah, he was also I recognized Dexter. him from Dexter. And like, and but see, yeah, I, I recognized was, him from the pilot of Burnout. Exactly. I <laughs> was I remember thinking, holy shit, he's in this pilot too. And I thought that was funny, especially because the pilot of Burn Notice, it's also a plot of him and his kid, like, you know, being potentially yeah. in danger. And in this time it's like, yeah, my kid might be autistic. But then it turns out he just has something in his ear. That, and so I that's don't something understand that was confusing. That. To me. That yeah, I wanted to like talk a, about that for a second. Okay. Here's what's confusing about that. Okay, so um, the guy, this dad, who's clearly like in organized crime, says, I think my son is autistic. Uh, The doctor said that like he should go to a special school and take pills. And I don't like that because I'm a man. Mm -hmm. What kind of life is that for a kid? Because only women, only women take pills 
which I can confirm. Well, I think it was more because he, 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 the way that he lays it out, he's like, he would need like three times a week therapy. He'd need to go to a special school. He'd yeah. need to have medication. And he's like, what kind of life is that for a kid? And yes, there is some like underlying like heterosexual nonsense. Yeah. But, and there's also a lot know. of like ableism going on there. But like. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but that does but yeah. sound overwhelming to someone, you know, who oh, is 100%. I not understand. disabled. And like, so he says, can you do something about that? Uh, and Jeffrey Donovan's like, sure. Which I think, again, is what's interesting about Jeffrey Donovan in all of these scenes where he is actually being a con man, a fake psychic, is that it's kind of trying to do the burn notice thing of making us try to believe that Jeffrey Donovan is morally gray. And it never works. <laughs> I know, because I just innately trust him so much. I'm like, no, I know he's a good guy. He's just going to do the right thing. And and he always, and he never really does. Like, yeah, he's kind of conning these people, but never that bad. And like, in the end of and the episode... And that seems to be one of the central problems that his wife has with him. She's like, you could be so much more vicious, but you're like being a good guy. Like, fuck these yeah. people. Take Which their Which is money. interesting, because I remember seeing something that the creator said was that the thing that he envisioned for the show was him learning to be a good guy. But he seems to already be a good guy. I know. It's, There's that, no that's arc. a whole other thing. But really quickly, uh, let's talk about this autistic plot line. So yeah, okay. so the first thing that happens is he introduces this and he's like, can you help me? And Jeffrey Donovan is like, of course. Yeah, which is like shady as fuck. But like, again, we trust Jeffrey Donovan. And then when Jeffrey Donovan is in the hospital, right? He... Well, no, no. Before that, the, the thing he says is, okay, don't pay me yet. I only want you to pay me if I can help, which is a great fucking con man move. And he's like, so bring me something of his, maybe a t-shirt. Yes. Bring me like a t-shirt of your son's and I will I will get a, an energy reading and I'll figure out how I can help cure his yes. autism. Exactly. Fast forward to him at the hospital. He's hearing things slightly ahead of time. And one of the things that he hears slightly ahead of time is... A doctor talking to a child saying that they might have an ear problem. And the child is wearing a Judas Priest shirt. And then at the end of the episode, um, our guy comes and brings his autistic son's t-shirt and it's the Judas Priest shirt. And then we get a flashback to that scene where... um, Jeffrey Donovan remembers, oh, the doctor said that it might be an ear thing. And so Michael says, I called him Michael. (laughs) Uh, Michael Weston says it might be an ear thing. But surely they've heard from the doctor that like... Yeah. Okay. So that's so that that's what I want to talk about. Is so first of all, is this this is did he see this guy's son in the hospital, or was it just an unrelated child wearing this shirt? First question. And, but no, because that doesn't make sense. Because is the correlation just if you're wearing this shirt, you probably have an inner ear problem? Okay. So if great. You listen to We've Judas established Priest. that. Okay. But that that's like my first question because that is honestly not that clear. So fair enough. I agree with you that that's probably the case. Second of all. Yeah, hasn't he already heard from the... Like, if the doctor is explaining this to the kid, has the doctor not also told the parents, hey, maybe there is some kind of inner ear problem happening? So then third, how is that a, like, revelation to this guy? And fourth, how could you possibly interpret a child being possibly autistic when, in fact, the actual diagnosis is he can't hear very good? I... 
I have no idea. They kind of explain, they try to explain the symptoms, and he's like, this is an alternate cause of the symptoms. It doesn't, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. It It is a fucking stretch. But yeah, but ultimately, even without that, even if we buy that, like, the two different possible diagnoses could theoretically be coming from the same symptoms, the fact that, like, literally he just overheard the doctor is not a revelation. He didn't even need his fake clairvoyance for that. Or his, like, real clairvoyance. He could have just, like, listened in. Because that's the thing. All the clairvoyance does is let him hear it six seconds earlier. But, okay, but here's the thing. This is what I was trying to figure out. I don't think it's this. Was the implication that Michael Weston, who used to be a spy and is now a con artist, (laughs) heard something that happened further in the future? Yeah, so that was going to be my assumption. Having only seen the pilot, I was like, that would make more sense. But also, at the end of the episode, his wife's like, why did you just, like, give him an advice like he didn't pay us and now he has no reason to continue paying us because you've just like given him a solution to his son's problem so then it sort of seems like maybe we won't see him again i mean jeffrey donovan i guess does say like it's good to have a gangster on our side but like he said that he said that in that one episode where they were running around in the forest yeah (laughs) and that gangster never. although i i guess uh, I guess that guy is in every episode. He's in all 20 episodes of Shut Okay, Eye, no, that so makes sense. I guess sense. he does come back. So uh, yeah, yeah so that's, that's, that was my assumption as well, Chris, is that I also thought like, yeah, maybe that was in a case of him seeing it further in the future. Exactly. But and, like, given we what we currently know, time. yeah, but g- given what we know in the pilot, it just seems like he overheard the kid who's already gone to a doctor who already diagnosed him. But like the gangster guy just like didn't come home that night. And, yeah. and just like went home, stole stuff. the t-shirt. Exactly. He stole the t-shirt and went to the psychic first thing instead of checking in with his wife about like how the doctor's visit went. Yeah. I don't know what that was supposed to be. It made no sense. Yeah. It, okay. Uh, yeah. And, and it was treated with a lot of like pomp and circumstance. But um, yeah, let's briefly talk about racism, Chris. Yeah. No. That, yeah. Let's let's talk about this now. This show is super racist. Yeah. Um, okay, so I tried so hard to find any confirmation that anyone involved with this television show was Romani or came from Romani descent, um, and came up with nothing. The guy who created the show... His father was Hungarian, but it does not, I do not get a sense that that is something that is part of his heritage. Um, You would think if it was, he would mention it in interviews and he does not. The showrunner uh, mentions doing a lot of research and like learning a bunch of new things. So this is clearly not something that the showrunner is that aware of. So yeah, the guy in charge who wrote Dante's Peak, he wrote a lot of action movies in the 90s, and he was also in, like, a couple of bands in the 80s. He played bass for Sparks. Hmm. Um, He's also a Libra. Yeah, and he was uh, (laughs) the lead of his own, the lead of his own band, has a new album out, according to his website, and this is most important, he wrote and sings the theme song to Shut Eye. Interesting. Yeah, that. So when you watch Shut Eye and watch the opening credits, that's him. That is the creator. That's kind of fun. Leslie something. Leslie Bowen. 
Yeah. I got excited that it was a woman, but. And then not. it wasn't. Yeah. It was one of those fake guy Leslie's. Uh, um, but yeah, so the racism is just that the, exactly. the crime there was family also, is Romani and it feels like they're very much leaning on like oh, the yeah, cultural no, heritage so... and how it, how it is dripping into the sort of crime family syndicate nature of things. Oh, yeah. And no, it just feels like, extremely bad. I Yeah. I also want to say one of the one interview said that one of the writers worked as a psychic. And they learned a lot from her. I cannot tell who this is. I don't know if it is a staff writer or one of the credited writers on the show for like one of the episodes. It's unclear uh, who this is. Um, There are only two women uh, credited um, for uh, any of the scripts and the interviews specifies that it was a woman who was the psychic and it's unclear who it was but i did not get the sense that this writer was romani either yeah but yes no the whole family is very stereotyped they're doing this thing this show wants to be like a sopranos for romani people but it's not the same this show is so racist (laughs) Every single member of this family, the way that they are introduced is introduced. That's not a word. Introduced is so othering, and like the main crux of this show, and like the conflict of like Jeffrey Donovan and his family and the crime family is that Jeffrey Donovan's family is not Romani, and the crime family who are definitely bad guys and are dangerous and scary, are Romani. So it's all about really hyping up the otherness of them. Fonzo, who's like the son, who's like the nominal head of the family, like starts by telling this long story about like why biblically Romani people are allowed to steal because God said that they could um, because they stole one of the nails that was used in the crucifixion before it could be used. He also, again, there's a lot of use of a certain word that many Romani people find very offensive. It's not quite 100% clear. Some uh, some Romani people, as far as I can tell, do not find the word totally offensive and think it's more okay and use it more. Um, but a lot of, of them do not like this word at all, and I do not particularly feel comfortable saying it, um, but you know what it is. Um, well, it's it's literally in the description, the IMDb description exactly, of it the is. episode. And they're all using it a lot. And again, no one is, I can't tell if anyone like in the cast is Romani either. I mean, Isabella Rossellini isn't. Uh, but yeah, it's all kind of scary archetypes. And like the climax of the episode takes place at this Romani council where um, Jeffrey Donovan's sister is being tried. And, like, it's so... Well, she's not even being tried. Like, they've already decided that she's guilty, and so now, like, the council is, like, the punishment. Exactly. And, like, what they're supposed to do about it. And um, in the episode, Jeffrey Donovan has appealed to Isabella Rossellini to, like, maybe go easy on her, and she does not like that. Um, She says that, like, her son is a pussy, and... Like, you have to be, like, hard. So she takes uh, Jeffrey Donovan's daughter and, like, takes a knife 
and like cuts like like cuts into his daughter's like skin like on her face like cuts the scar into like her face and while she screams and there's this guy throughout the scene just singing an off key off key music um i forget exactly what it was i think it was romani i don't um and so it's so like orientalist and it's so about how scary these romani people are and how like almost inhuman they are and as opposed to like our nice white family um who are also like con artists but aren't like weird and scary you know and they don't have ritualistic punishments exactly step out of line and so much of the conflict is about that like the conflict of like the reason that this the sister gets cut up is because she did a thing that she wasn't supposed to do because only romani people are supposed to do that because only romani people are supposed to do this like specific kind of mystical thing um and it's supposed to be a con but it's still like a con that's like theirs and again just like starting from a place of like again the first character that we meet who is romani is like god says that we can steal it's really fucked up yeah and it's like if it wasn't for that this show is interesting i think there's a lot of interesting elements i'm curious about what's going on like i this is actually more the type of show that i probably would have kept watching in my current like m- like mood yeah. because like i like con artist stuff yeah um i like i like that i think that the backdrop of like the mafia style syndicate of psychics and charlatans is an interesting backdrop it is interesting but yeah the fact that the like one of the framing devices is this insanely racist portrayal of romani people written by and starring non-romani people feels extremely uncomfortable it's so uncomfortable and it's yeah it's so like baked into the core conflict of the show yeah it doesn't feel like it's like it's one thing when there is a group of people who are treated with derision from like outsider characters and that derision is not like represented as like oh yes this is the right opinion to have about this group of people like when someone is vaguely racist in a show but it's clear that like hey that's racism and only a fucked up person says shit like that that's one thing but like this this show is making like the them say shit that is racist yes because it's being given to them and premise the core of it is racist yeah i tried so hard to find anything um that would justify it no, that anyone said about this at the time. Yeah, um, I did too. There's like one like San Francisco Chronicle article that's like, so I couldn't find any Romani people's opinions about this show, but it seemed off and I'm not Romani and I don't know enough about their culture exactly. to really make I any sort of too. statements, but I'm definitely uncomfortable. And yeah, that was no, really it. That was all I could That find. was it. And I couldn't find anything about about it. I think I found one Like the AV one Club liked this. That they, was like, it gave the series oh, a B. Yeah. Um, I found one piece that was a little bit more about general stereotyping of uh, Romani people in pop culture uh, that briefly mentioned Shedai, um, but it wasn't very detailed or specific. And I also am not sure if it was written by a Romani person either. Um, so yeah, I, don't I mean, have... it's, it's not a very like big subculture anymore. Like they've been... No. Like they yeah. were one of the... Weren't they one of the groups of people targeted during the Holocaust? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I am not enough 
up on my history to talk about it with any sort of uh, oh, I, I well, I was just gonna say that I assume that the reason that they felt they could get away with it and did for two seasons without much uh, yes. ado from popular culture is that it's just they're not a well-known no, yeah, group of people. like and so racism against like, Romani people is still like so enshrined in pop culture. Like it's it's in Buffy. Like I love Buffy, but like it's in Buffy. It's like in anything where there's a curse. Um, it's, Mm -hmm. um, it reminds me a lot of Drag Me to Hell. Have you seen Drag Me to Hell? No. That's also as a film. That's an interesting film because it's kind of about, there's a reading of the film where it's about, um, like white female privilege. And it's about like this woman who like refuses a Romani woman a bank loan. And so she puts a curse on her and then like, she kind of experiences the curse and she tries to get out of it. And there's nothing that she can do to get out of it. And it's just her, like, things getting worse and worse in her life and, like, demons attacking her and stuff. And there's nothing that she can do to lift this curse. And it's there's definitely an interesting reading in that film about it being about, like, an awareness and responsibility of whiteness and, like, privilege. Um, But in that film all of the Romani people and the woman especially is just horrifically caricatured. Like she is a movie monster in times and like, cause it's Sam Raimi and it's very uh, goofy. It's a fun film, but it's like, it's there too. That's the thing is that you can still like do that up until 2017, up until this day, you can do this sort of thing. And it's and I fine also think and no one probably, says anything. I think some of it also is because like their ethnicity is not as clear cut because we don't know as much about them collectively as a culture. Like, it's a European ethnicity. And so I bet probably what happens is that, like, Hollywood liberals think it's okay because, like, they they could be characterized as white. And it's fine to make fun of, like, Italian people because at this point Italian people aren't, you know, really uh, relegated to the sides of society. You can make fun of Irish people and that's okay because, you know, now at this point Irish are considered white and that's considered like a safe group of people to get specific with, you know, if you want to make like Irish jokes, but ultimately people generally accept that like, you know, making a joke about Irish people is not the same as making a joke about black people. And I assume that it's probably a gray area for Romani people because there aren't as many of them. So they can't defend themselves. Exactly. And so like that's considered white. Which again, which is why I was curious about um, the writer, the creator, because his dad was Hungarian and like there was definitely a lot of Romani people in Hungary. And what I'm saying is that like it's possible that his father had was from Romani descent. And, but like, if that was true, then I feel like that would have come up more in interviews. Exactly. That's the thing. I could not find any confirmation on the fact that I don't think it's true. Yeah. Um, and so I'm that's just, ultimately why, yeah, I think both of us are extremely uncomfortable. No. And I like genuinely think that a lot of people in America, especially, do not understand that it is an ethnic group at all. Yeah, I um, agree. I think that they consider it sort of like a cultural thing. Yeah. And, but no, it very much isn't. And I do think that there's a way to do this thing. I think there is a way to tell this story, because I think there is something very interesting about this, but it is definitely not about centering it on a white family that is terrorized by this Romani crime family. You know what this show reminds me of? What's that? Did you ever watch, there was a show, I think it also ran for two seasons, on FX called The Riches. Mm-mm. I, and, I don't have access to FX, so I haven't seen a lot of those shows. This was years ago. Um, 
it was it ran for two seasons. It starred Eddie Izzard, Minnie Driver, and also uh, Shannon Woodward, who um, you would know from Raising Hope, which we talked about on our last episode. That was actually the first thing that I saw Shannon Woodward in was uh, The Riches. And it's a show specifically about family of I- Irish travelers, which is kind of similar. There is a similar sort of nomadic kind of quality. There's parallels between like tra- like Irish traveler culture and Romani culture. Um, and it's also like built on this kind of sense of like con artist type thing. Anyway, the premise of that show is that this family finds like a mansion basically in a rich neighborhood that is for whatever reason currently abandoned and they just move in and pretend to be wealthy affluent people in this neighborhood but are actually just a bunch of con artists from this like that also kind of had a similar vibe both simultaneously being about con artistry and also looking into this very specific culture that has a long cultural history with that kind of thing and has very like kind of insular like social dynamics and cultural things but but irish and i don't know how much of it was offensive at the time with that show i know even Mm -hmm. less about irish travelers than i do about uh romani people but I think the core of that is that the family that was the star that was it was about was of that culture. And it was them sort of interacting with this very rich white culture. That was something that felt just inherently less creepy. It was a good show. And that was kind of what I wanted this show to be. And it was not that. <laughs> Yeah, no, it definitely wasn't. Um, and confirmed, the guy that plays the son, uh, like the de facto leader of the the Romani family, um, he's Australian. Australian? Um, yeah, he's definitely not. I mean, I don't think there are any Romani people no, in Australia no. based on my research. Um, so no. yeah, so Isabella Rossellini is Italian. That guy is Australian. I think they're just white people. Tan. Putting on accents. It's like, yeah, it's uncomfortable. And yep. the thing and is, watching the first because otherwise scene, I would have said I would have recommended this show to people who like want something a little bit more yeah. like quote unquote highbrow without actually being highbrow. Like the director of this episode, the first director of this episode directed a bunch of like Breaking Bad's and like you know other prestige. Television who directed this shows. episode? Yoan Renk. Hmm, I don't know that person. Uh, the first scene I was already kind of uncomfortable, but the end. The first, the first scene with the Romani guy. Yeah, the first scene with the Romani guy, I was uncomfortable. But like by the end, this council scene, like it's so... yeah, where they're all just like spitting on her. Yeah, they're like spitting on her, and they cut her while weird music is playing, and it's so like horror movie, like awful. And like the wife is upset, and like uh, Jeffrey Donovan's character is like put upon. And he's like, well, she broke the rules. And it's clearly framed as, like, he has to go along with this barbaric culture or whatever, but he really shouldn't because it's wrong. Yeah. Um, And it's so, ugh. Yeah. Anyway. And, yeah, it's too bad because there's a lot to like about this show. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, ultimately, with that, I can't in good conscience 
recommend this show and I definitely can't in good conscience continue watching it which is too bad because I think that I would have enjoyed watching Jeffrey Donovan have like legit supernatural psychic powers again I I liked him being a psychic again this show kind of has that thing in common with Burn Notice where it's about watching Jeffrey Donovan essentially con people Mm -hmm. and I think the show is best when it was doing that which is when it's being its most burn notice. Yeah. So right. yeah, so that that does it. That's one of Matt. Uh, th- that that's the sort of supernatural spin that our two main burn notice boys have taken since leaving burn notice behind. And uh, yeah, where if you guys end up watching these shows, let us know what you think. Um, are you also horrified by the treatment of Romani culture in Shut Eye? Uh, did you enjoy the white main character of The Gifted? Let us know your thoughts. We would love to hear from you. And again, if you want to recommend other bonus episode ideas that we could do, they don't strictly have to be like, watch this thing. Um, but if there are other things that you'd like us to talk about, if you want to do a Q&A episode with us, if you want to, us to ha- start a Patreon, whatever it is that you want to tell us, as long as it is not critical, because we, again, if you are unaware, do not accept criticism of any kind. You can email us at burnnoticepodcast at gmail.com or burn noticed pod on twitter that's burn noticed with a d chris any final words i don't really have anything to say buy my book buy road trippy um yeah like at this point i have been out for a while and so far everyone who has interacted with me on twitter when i came out was very positive had a very positive experience on twitter coming out and this is the first episode probably not consistent with how most people experience Twitter. So that's Yeah, it was the best day I've ever had on Twitter. Like, (laughs) bar none. And by now, by the time you're listening to this, that's, like, long in the past. But, like, it was really great. And, yeah, um, stay tuned for more stuff from us. I don't know when this is going out. There may have been news on other fronts on stuff. But beyond that, there's nothing left but to thank Vincent E.L. for our theme music. Vincent also had... A song of theirs go kind of viral recently, especially on Reddit, because they have a song called Fuck the Fire Department um, (laughs) that's kind of an allegory about uh, police violence that just happened to be very fitting in the current cultural moment. And, like, it's kind of playing on this very common saying of, like, you never hear a song called Fuck the Fire Department. No one ever wrote that. And so, like, someone would say that on, like, Reddit or whatever, and someone would go, and then someone went, actually, here's this song. And so, yeah, I think the YouTube video of it is, like, 60,000 views or something. Yeah, no, it's doing very well. And so Vince is um, very happy about that. Vince has having mixed feelings about that because, on one hand, it's very nice that people are talking about their music, but also it's sad that it's sort of tied to police violence. And also, a lot of people assume that Vince is male, but Vince is actually agender, and that's sort of uncomfortable for them. But So this is me saying on our podcast, just to know that about Vince, and then go listen to the song, because it's very good. <laughs> uh, and you can find more of Vincent's music at vincentel.bandcamp.com. Mm-hmm. You can Google and, uh, fuck the fire department on and search <laughs> it on YouTube and listen to that. And until either the next bu- bonus episode or the next burn common noticed episode, uh, season four, what, what? Bye. Bye.